Support for this podcast is brought to you by Yo Mama Cookies, because nobody's cookies are as good as Yo Mama's. You remember cookies when you were a kid? They were always the best. You've tried to make them yourself. Your spouse has tried to make them using the same recipe. They're never as good. So stop trying to do it and just go turn to Yo Mama. Order today and get a free dozen cookies by using promo code TISTHEPOD at YoMamaCookies.com. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Would you please tell them that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Welcome to another episode of Tis the Podcast, a podcast that's determined to keep the Christmas spirit alive 365 days per year. I'm Anthony. I'm Julia. I'm Tom. And it is officially October now. We're less than three months from Christmas, and everything is awesome. Doesn't the world just seem so much happier now? Yes, oh. it is my favorite time of year. Not even just for the Christmas stuff. I love Halloween and Thanksgiving. It's just the next three months are awesome. I could The weather's more. getting cooler. Oh my gosh. I feel like I, I do. When the weather gets like this, I feel like that song from the Lego movie. Everything's wonderful. Everything is awesome. Or everything is awesome. That's it. Because everything yes. just feels awesome right now. <laughs> yes. Well, this whole time of year makes me feel like that. Right. So this week's movie is Krampus. I am really excited today, not only because it's a different type of movie than we've done so far, but a much-needed palate cleanser after last week's abomination. Julia, how about giving them a plot synopsis? Sure. When his dysfunctional family clashes over the holidays, young Max is disillusioned and turns his back on Christmas. Little does he know, this lack of festive spirit has unleashed the wrath of Krampus, a demonic force of ancient evil intent on punishing non-believers. All hell breaks loose as beloved holiday icons take on a monstrous life of their own, laying siege to the fractured family's home and forcing them to fight for each other if they hope to survive. Nice synopsis. The guys who write the back of the Blu-ray box really know how to write them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> But that is one of the better ones, because they're not always that great. But Krampus, as we usually do, how about we start off with our histories about the movie, but also like your history with Krampus as a mythical figure as well prior to the movie. So Julia, why don't you start us off? So I had not heard of Krampus prior to a year or two ago. Jimmy Fallon had Christoph Waltz, right? Christoph Waltz on the show. And he, who I really like him as an actor anyway, and obviously I like Jimmy Fallon, he's talked about Krampus and Jimmy Fallon and standard Jimmy Fallon was incredulous that something like that would exist and thought it was just crazy. And I had never heard at all of this figure. And so it piqued fascination, which led to me Google searching for a solid two hours on it and crazy town. So my history with the movie was 
a few days ago when Anthony was nice enough to lend me access to watch this movie. And can I just say one of the best decisions I made in the last week watching this movie? I am a fan. This movie made me happy. So I can't wait once we get our histories out of the way to dig into this movie. What about you, Tom? Well, all I can say is this is not my Belschnickel. Hashtag not my Belschnickel. I've always found the the folklore around Krampus really interesting, and and all of the anti Santa Clauses from the from from the old countries like uh, Belschnickel and Krampus and Black Peter and all of those figures that come along and have this like the the this juxtaposition of good you know Santa has to be good so we have to have the flip side we have to have something bad or Santa rewards good kids so we have to have somebody to come punish bad kids and when I first started when I first learned about Krampus I learned about the the what is it Krampusnacht where they have the the big festivals and all of these really like total metal looking Krampus guys parading through towns and and tormenting people watching the parade just looks like so much fun <laughs> um, so I, I kind of like I kind of like Krampus it's fun it's it's interesting how Santa developed in in America but all of the other traditions around Santa around Christmas gift giving and punishment didn't and how Santa incorporated the the coal here which you know, part of the Krampus tradition tradition is bad kids get coal. And we brought that over with Santa, but we didn't bring any, you know, beating him with tied birch, beating kids with tied birch, <laughs> um, which is kind of unfortunate. That'd be a really fun job to do at the mall to start hitting kids when they're acting up. I'm sure parents and other people waiting in line would love to see that make its way to America. So when I heard this movie was coming out, I got really excited and I wanted to watch it. And um, I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it at home. And my wife is uh, puts on a an indie art craft fashion show, or did put on an indie art craft and fashion show in Tulsa, and she's a maker. So the Christmas season gets really chaotic, and it's very easy for us to be distracted. And I didn't pay enough attention to the movie, so I was just kind of like, you know, it's all right, it's good. Um, but there was a lot of stuff I didn't catch, and like, I don't want to get too into the movie, but how self aware it is that it's a campy horror and that it is a comedy. I didn't. If you're not paying attention, you don't catch those things. It just seems like a it seems like a B-rate horror, but it wants to be a B-rate horror. And I'll stop there. I'll stop there. We'll pick that up later. How about you, Anthony? So my background with Krampus is kind of similar to yours. I kind of learned about it through Krampus Schnapp is my first uh I didn't I don't remember exactly how I learned of that festival to begin with, but I do just remember seeing all of these images online of these guys dressed as demonic goat-like figures, like wielding torches and marching through German towns, scaring the crap out of people. And I was like, this looks terrifying and fun. I have to learn more about this guy. So once I Googled Krampus, I became like obsessed with him. Like I just love the mythology around this character. And like you, Tom, I was like, I found it interesting how Santa evolved here without this other darker i like the movie phrases it the shadow of him who comes to punish the naughty children while he rewards them because like when you think about it it actually makes a lot of sense that like i don't know about you guys but i never knew of any santa giving coal to anybody growing up even in the movies and the tv shows it just didn't Mm -hmm. happen it was just like an empty threat so i loved the idea that there was this other guy who came to punish you because Santa just wasn't capable of it. And when I heard they were making this movie, I was so excited because up until this point, the character had a bunch of um, straight to DVD, like D list movies, like 
horrible features. So here he was in a big screen debut with some pretty great actors. And the first time I saw this movie, I loved it. I was ju- I just fell in love with it. It's been part of my Christmas canon since I first saw it. And I'm really looking forward to diving in and discussing it with you guys. For people who don't know, should we give a little background on Krampus? I think we kind of alluded to it. But if there's anybody who's listening and doesn't know Krampus, he's an Austro-Bavarian folklore character. Like we said, it was the opposite of Santa. And if you haven't seen him, he's this horned half goat, half demon. So the origin of Krampus is mostly unknown, but most anthropologists agree that the tradition is pre-Christian, going all the way back to pagan mythology. So and he's been around for a while. And he comes, like we said, he's an anti-Santa Claus, and he comes with like chains and bells and these birch rutin, these these birch sticks tied together that he hits kids with. And the way he responds to bad kids varies. So sometimes he just hits them. Sometimes he brings them coal. Sometimes he kidnaps them in his sack and takes them off to his lair where he tortures them. Sometimes he eats them, you know? Um, he, he is really big in Europe, but he is becoming more popular in the United States. So Ohio, Seattle, Philadelphia, they all hold Christmas, uh, Krampus parades every year now. And you can't get them everywhere, but I have actually seen them. They do sell an elf on the shelf equivalent with the Krampus figure. Oh my gosh. So I guess to scare your children into... <laughs> behaving they do have that option oh so that is so much fun <laughs> so yeah he's gaining popularity here which i'm glad because i think he needs more recognition can we also not not forget to mention he has this extraordinarily long gene simmons tongue in most depictions <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so like terrifying yeah. there's one picture where where his tongue goes out it wraps all the way around the page and is like licking the kid in the head on the back like oh, down oh, behind the kid over the kid's head and licking him. I'll post that in the notes. So you guys can get a true, see, see why Julia's so mortified. I <laughs> And I think I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering correctly, there is a licking scene in this movie. But, there is. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's dive into the movie, I guess. Do you guys right off the bat, do you guys think this is a Christmas movie or a horror movie or just a horror movie set at Christmas time? Because for me, one of the things when I first saw this movie that I was really impressed with was how much, you know, how many homages there were within this film to other classic Christmas films and specials. So, like, the family was kind of like a mixture of the Griswolds and the McAllisters. They had that stop animation bit halfway through the film. With like, Grandma's flashback? With Amis. 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 Fast flashback. Flashback, yep. (laughs) And that was, you know, a little bit better animated than the old 60s specials, but it was a clear homage to them. They had a reference, you know, to the Polar Express at the very end when he opens his gift under the tree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the the whole movie in general is just like a darker take on like a Christmas carol and It's a Wonderful Life and you know, with a little bit of gremlins thrown in there. So in my opinion, I think it's very clearly a Christmas movie with horror elements and not just a horror movie set at Christmas time. But I want to know what you guys think. Julia, you want to go? Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's definitely a Christmas movie with a horror spin. Uh, All the elements you just mentioned, all of that. Plus it's just, they built so much atmosphere into it as well that I think it would be very hard course saying this tom might be about to say no i don't think it's a christmas movie at all but i think it'd be hard to say it's not a christmas movie 
with horror elements. Well, you talk about the atmosphere and, uh, you know, we talked about the ambiance of Die Hard, and, but mm-hmm. they had everything we were talking about, the snow and the lights and even the Christmas carols and the decorations. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm curious to see what Tom thinks and whether he agrees with us. Totally a Christmas movie. I actually have in my notes really big, dark, it's a wonderful life. Um, yes. It's the same general concept. You know, I don't really want all of this that I have. It's not what, what I, you know, Max doesn't want his family anymore. Just like, Kevin McAllister, I want you all to go away. Well, when that time comes and the, the rubber hits the road, he realizes, and he says it himself, he said, I take, it, I take my wish back. Um, mm-hmm. So there's definitely that, that moment. Plus, the music throughout is so upbeat mm-hmm. and cheery, which is a strong juxtaposition to the, uh, the videography, the, the shots that they have where you see these, like, even the snow is, 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 hor- is horror-esque um, and otherworldly. Well, guys, the director actually agrees with us because he, he, he said, um, in his mind, it is a Christmas movie and quote, a Christmas Carol and it's a wonderful life are nightmares that show you these broken characters who experience a darker side of divine intervention and they need to be scared straight End quote. And that's basically what this movie is too. Pretty much. You mentioned the snow. I just want to say how beautifully shot this movie is and it's like a beautiful movie. Like the snow looked magical. Even when it, you were supposed to be like the scarier moments, it looked magical. Like when the storm first rolls in, I was like, wow, that looks really cool. Mm-hmm. And the design yeah, there are some of great shots. They did a great shot. The design of Krampus himself. Like I loved it. Like my two favorite shots in the movie are silhouette shots of him and one is when he's confronting Omi when she's mm-hmm. giving the family a chance and you just kind of see their profiles staring at each other. And then later on when Max confronts him and he's staring down at Max and it's just a dark shadow. And I just thought mm-hmm. it was really well shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It was beautiful. Even the house, like down to the house that they're in. Can I have that house, please? Right. It's like my perfect Christmas house. It's the one my where... perfect house and my perfect house at Christmas. Oh, that's you, the styling that I like. It's the kitchen is perfect. I mean, oh my gosh. Of course, I love to look at other people's houses. So I went gaga over the house. <laughs> and after all, it looks like Martha Stewart threw up in it. That's right. <laughs> According to Aunt Dorothy. So I honestly did not know anything at all. You mentioned uh, the director, Michael Daughtry. I didn't know anything about him before this. Um, he, he directed a really underrated Halloween movie a few years before Krampus called Trick or Treat. I saw that. It's on my list to watch this year. It's very good. Very similar tone, like a half comedy, half horror. And it's, I love that movie just as much. So I think it would be funny if uh, he does a rabbit Easter bunny movie next. <laughs> but uh, he's really good. He's really talented. I really liked him. And he, I don't think besides those two movies, he has too much to his name. I didn't really dig too much. Into he it. wrote X2. He wrote Superman Returns and X-Men Apocalypse. Uh, so one great movie, one okay movie, and one terrible movie. Yep. Uh, which were which, although I'm pretty sure I know the terrible. Terrible was X-Men Apocalypse. Yeah. Okay was Superman Returns, and great was X-Men 2. Okay, all right. Sure I, like, there. I like Superman Returns. Oh, I, I, I did. That's why I said it was okay. I don't hate it. I think Kevin Spacey was a great Lex Luthor. Kevin Spacey was, he is, he is a great Lex Luthor. I think it's so funny, Tom, that you mentioned how 
you felt like it was a good mix of Home Alone, the McAllisters, and of the Griswolds, because it's funny because I wrote down, <laughs> feels a lot like Christmas Vacation, right? You've got the out-of-town family with the stupid husband and the kind of sweet, unknowing wife and the kids that I could give a rip about. And then the kooky, outspoken, older person, which in this case was the great aunt, but I picture Aunt Bethany, right, from Christmas Vacation, where she's kind of kooky. Uncle Howard was definitely Cousin Eddie. But not as lovable. Not as, no, No. definitely not lovable. But I found him. Totally, it's Packer. I couldn't get Packer out of my head. That's all I thought through the whole thing. I was just waiting (laughs) for him to make some, which I was just watching The Office season one and- Right before I saw this, um, my grandma had never seen The Office, and she's staying with us. So we were playing it, and there's that scene where uh, Michael and Jan are in the office with Pam and Packer calls. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is totally – oh. <laughs> same guy, 100%, same character. Yeah. <laughs> but he – I thought he had some of the best lines of this film. He really did. He did. He did. And, and I hated him less at the end than I did at the beginning. Although so, I, what, what I found really funny about him was he was much more upset when he walked out of that house and saw his car was destroyed than when any of his kids were like taken yep. away. He <laughs> just gave, I think. <laughs> he just gave that shout of horror like, Lucinda! <laughs> <laughs> I thought the whole cast was great. Adam Scott and Tony Collette. I wish, well, I love my parents, but I mean, they were the cool younger parents that like, I would love to have them as parents if I couldn't have my parents. They seemed really cool. Okay. So I don't know. Um, Adam Scott's kind of neither here nor there for me. I haven't watched a whole lot of stuff he's been in. I've actually just started Parks and Rec um, from the same person that said I needed to watch off, um, The Office. So, so I can't speak much to Adam Scott. Mm-hmm. But Tony Collette is like one of my favorite actresses in the history of actresses. And she does a mother, an authentic mother role better than most. Um, I first saw her in Sixth Sense and her as a mother in the Sixth Sense is like the most authentic representation of a mother to me that I've ever seen on film ever because she, she focused so much on specifically in that movie, you know, something's happening to her son and that struggle that parents go through when your kid is struggling and you can't do anything about it. So uh, that movie, it wrecks me every time I watch that movie because of her. Um, but then she also did Little Miss Sunshine, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Mine the too. Way Way Back, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. She was great in About a Boy. And then you could kick it all the way back to Emma. She was fantastic in that too. I love Tony Collette. I love her. And she was great in this movie. Oh, she was. She yeah. really was. She had just... I, I like in the, the the we see the range of of her ability as an actress from you know this this happy mom you know the the mom uh, at the beginning where everything's nice and then she sees Aunt Dorothy and everything heads downhill then they kidnap her daughter I don't know she just she's this whole range of experiences in this movie and she, I think she does about the best job of selling it yeah I would agree with that yeah she is not my favorite character though my favorite ca- I really liked Omi can I oh I was gonna say can I guess yeah I, I I just loved her this sweet little old grandma who was who was cool she was just cool she was a really cool grandma she was brave she gave the family a chance to try to escape to confront the monster who's really been haunting her since she was a kid and I think that's probably my favorite scene in the movie honestly I love her I love her relationship to Max 
And I think I have a history on this podcast. Not that we've covered many kid roles yet, but I've hated on the kids in the past episodes. But the kid who played Max, I thought he was a great actor. He sold yeah, it. He was great. And Omi, back to Omi, she was she was just beautiful. There's something very beautiful about her. Like her face was beautiful and her Austrian. And I love how they didn't subtitle everything that she said because mm-hmm. it yep, kind of left that air of mystery about it. But that language is beautiful. I mean, immediately I was drawn to Omi. I thought, oh, she was one of my absolute favorite characters too. And the fact she knows how to speak English and when she started speaking and Dorothy was like, English, English. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Her story, by the way, the stop animation bit, here's our Harry Potter reference of the episode. Did that not remind you of the Deathly Hallows story? Like, uh, Absolutely. That- it looked exactly 100%. like it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Which, by the way, is my favorite part of all of the Harry Potter movies. Every oh, single one of them. That's definitely clip. one of mine, yeah. Oh, it's so beautifully done. Have you seen, actually, <laughs> veer off into Harry Potter land. We, can, we um, never do that. Seen the, no, we never do that. Have you seen that they actually act that out at Universal Studios? Yeah, no. I saw, I, they I have, saw like, the performance. The shadow characters. And, oh, my gosh. I want to see that. That's so cool. It's awesome, yeah. Yeah, I loved the flashback. The flashback was so stylized and beautiful, and I loved that. I loved that part. Yeah. I think, actually, that's the part in this movie where I was, like, I changed from, this is entertaining, and I'm super surprised, to I genuinely like this movie. Like, I'm in it. Can, can I just tell you guys how happy I am that you both liked it? Because I... <laughs> Didn't know what to expect because for our listeners, Tom in particular was playing very coy about what he felt about this movie. And I was thinking to myself, I don't want another Christmas and Hollis type fight <laughs> for an entire episode. <laughs> so when you guys at the beginning of this episode said how much you liked it, like it's like a giant weight lifted off my chest. I was yeah, like, no, we can get along. <laughs> I totally was. I was I was totally uh, being very ambiguous with all of my discussion of it on Slack this week. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was I I honestly if I if you know with with Home Alone which I also liked and with Arthur Christmas and with I'll be home for Christmas. I could all, I, I could pick them apart, pick things apart. That should have been different. This like elf, I really can't. It was just, it was great for what it is. Anthony's so happy right now. <laughs> I am like ecstatic. <laughs> I am. It was, it was from beginning to end. Like in the beginning itself, I thought like before you even get into any horror elements, it just opened up with the darker, more commercial side of Christmas with people mm. trampling each other in the stores for toys and mm-hmm. other merchandise. Although I do have to ask, what kind of um, department store puts on the nativity pageant? Usually, I mean, in New York, they're always at church or like some community building. We never really see them in department stores. But The awesome kind where we get to see a child get into a fight. Dressed <laughs> as a, was he a wise man? Was that a shepherd? Shepherd, I think. A shepherd's got to protect his flock. And what in the world kind of Christmas play was that? I mean, did you see all the characters that were there? Well, yeah, <laughs> did Max you see Rudolph? Rudolph at the Nativity? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved that, that whole scene. Um, the background music was being Crosby. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. So, yeah. the, And that scene is... So is, sassy. I loved it. 
that scene just reminds me of why I stopped going to Black Friday. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I still love it though. I I got into a, not a fight. It almost it almost turned into a fight on Black Friday once. Fisticuffs. So, yeah. <gasps> it, it was. This was like was I still in high school or first year of college? I forget what movie it was. I had to pick up a toy for like a relative for their kid. I for some reason I don't even know if it was that. Do you remember that movie Happy Feet? Yeah. The penguins. I think there was a dancing penguin and it was the last one. And I grabbed it, right? Somebody else is going for it too. But I got there first. But the guy grabbed the box and tried to take it from me. I was like, back off, man. So he continued to try to pull it from me like a jerk. So I pulled what they always do in the movies. I let him jerk it far back, pulled back, and let go. And he went sprawling backwards. <laughs> the box went into the air. I grabbed it and just went, hurried off to the checkout. Were you so, the inspiration for Jingle All the Way? <laughs> Jingle All the Way was, the inspiration, was an inspiration to me. <laughs> so your story is exactly what I saw at the beginning of this movie. Which I think, so I think the opening though, uh, it was kind of necessary to set the tone for the movie. Um, what we were going for is it's obviously a, um, it's a social commentary as well. It's a, it's, it's a comedy. It's fun. It's, but it's got a, I think the movie has a great message. So it's got this like really anti-consumerism that I love about it. For example, like when Max, when they read Max, when uh, his cousins who <laughs> Howard wanted to be boys um, <laughs> are picking on him and they steal his, his Halloween or his Halloween Christmas, his letter to Santa and they're reading it. There's not a single self-centered, self-serving thing on that list. Everything is about, I want my mom and dad to love each other again. I mm-hmm. understand that my uncle Howard has had, and his wife have had a rough time. I want them, you know, things to be easier for them. You just love this kid. I just wish me and my sister would hang out again like we used to. Yeah, I just wish my sister would hang out like, yeah. It just warms your heart, which is why I feel like he got kind of a bad rap when Krampus came. <laughs> Because, I mean, the kid was just <laughs> tormented to the point that he threw his letter out the window. He never would have done that of his own volition. Um, his whole family, I mean, like his, his cousins start beating him up and, I, well, he gets in a fight with them and, and his family comes down hard on him. It was just like, just like Kevin McAllister. I think Kevin McAllister at the beginning got a bad rap at Home Alone when his family was tormenting him. And here, Max just gets a bad rap. And as a result, his entire family gets kidnapped and by a horrible, ogreish demon, half goat, <laughs> who tries to kill him. I actually really like the conversation <laughs> him and his dad had after that scene where his cousins beat the crap out of him and he ripped up his, uh, he didn't rip up his letter yet, but he stormed off to his room. And he was basically asking, why do we have to do this every year? Why, why do we have to pull up with their crap just because we share the same DNA? And he was like, because that's what a family is, Max. People you try to be friends with even though you don't have a lot in common. And I liked that because it's true. You, you may not have a lot in common, but you do associate with them. You love them. You do your best to like them and get along and find common ground with them. And I think that's a nice message. I really do. Mm-hmm. It is. And I also like that this movie has the family. Speaking of families, it has the totally cliche but completely accurate Christmas family dinner scene, just like Arthur Christmas, just I like Christmas vacation. Note. I have a note. Family yeah. Christmas scene, much more entertaining and joyful than Arthur Christmas. And that and had angry Santa Anthony Claus. is back. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, the point is, I love a dysfunctional family around the table at Christmas. And it really is a um, volatile situation <laughs> at the family dinner table. You know, especially when you take the phones away and you have to actually talk to each other. 
So I love a good awkward family dinner. When Howard's like, it's a little dry. Mine is nice, honey. Well, mine's a little dry. Do you want to trade or whatever he says to him? I just found that exchange really funny. (laughs) Howard did not have a clue. I mean, he just Uh -uh. did not get it. I love the exchange in the kitchen between Tony Collette's character, Sarah, and Aunt Dorothy, where she kind of goes off on Aunt Dorothy and just tells her, for your own good, you need to stop. And I think we've all been in situations where that would have been the best response. Did you see that Aunt Dorothy responded even a little bit? Like she softened a bit? She did. So that was a tiny thing, but I was not expecting that. Because at this point in the movie, I was still like, eh, I'm not sure if I'm going to like this movie or not. But she softened and like, I was like, whoa. Okay. Yeah, she, so even, even the unpleasant characters have heart, at least a little bit. Yep. Yeah. She so was I kind really of like, that. oh, Sarah, honey, I didn't mean. And yeah. yeah. And she well, did- I liked her line as well after Max got in the fight with his cousins. Like, oh, lay off the kid. He deserves a medal for telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that too. Um, I have in my notes, so when he rips up the letter and throws it out the window, besides how beautiful it looks with the storm clouds rolling in and all the lights outside, the music in this film throughout, like not the Christmas songs they have, but the score is really haunting and beautiful as well. I really like it. It is. The other thing I like about that scene, again, it sounds just like Kevin McAllister, where he says, I just want Christmas to be like it used to be, but forget it. I hate Christmas. I hate all of you. I could see Kevin McAllister saying that, which I think says a lot that they were able to capture that same essence without being a blatant ripoff. Like Max is a completely different character than him, but you still get the same essence out of this well, exchange. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, it really does like lovingly pay homage to all of these mm-hmm. Christmas movies that came before it, not in a ripoff or spoofy type way, but just like, we're going to take the good and the best from those movies and lovingly do our own version of it. We're going to take the good, take the bad. Take them both and they have the sex life. <laughs> oh, I was not trending with that joke. The facts of life? You didn't watch the facts of life? Oh, yep. Now that I now I can hear it. I didn't have the music in the, the background. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> the facts of life. We, we told you in the past, Julia, you're the good singer on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, don't leave it up to us. <laughs> <laughs> So that part where he rips the letter up, also, did you notice it shares another thing with Home Alone and lots of movies? The magical wind. Yeah. The wind the wind that evokes the change that is coming. It's a little plot device. How do we need to show that something magical is happening here? Wind. What was that? Wind and music. Do it. So the composer um, is somebody I've never heard of, Douglas Pipes. He did this movie, obviously, that he did Trick or Treat. He did Monster House, the animated movie Monster <gasps> House. I never saw that one. I love that. Was that a good I one? I loved that. It's so good. Okay. You should watch it before Halloween with the okay. kids. And then uh, City of Ember, which my son keeps telling me I need to watch because he loves the book series. Uh, the movie, you can, yeah. you can skip. The books are good. Okay. Not a, not a faithful rendition of the books. He hasn't seen it either. No, it's no Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. Well, that's a high bar to hit, though. That's true. It's no, it's no Hunger Games. I w- I wouldn't even say it's a Twilight, it's a and point. I don't like Twilight. So, well, you say it's no Twilight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I won't watch it then. <laughs> is it Immortal Instruments? That's a that's a lower. It's, it is. It. That's exactly it. It's Immortal Instruments. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. All right. Oof. So I know I complimented the parents, Tom and Sarah, earlier. But I do have to ask, I'm not a parent, so maybe 
you two would give a different answer than me. Would you let your teenage daughter walk out in the middle of a blizzard that knocked out power in the whole town and was like a whiteout to go walk down the street to her boyfriend's house? Heck no, especially not that few layers. (laughs) (laughs) It was a legitimate thought. I'm like, she is not wearing nearly enough layers to be walking in a blizzard. Not doing it. No, absolutely not. I, I understand why they had to do it. Oh, but I no. do too. I think, <laughs> no. yeah, I wish they would have come up with a, with something better. But yeah, I don't, I don't think most parents would let their kid go outside. I wish she had just snuck out. Like they said no, then she disappears and they figure out like she snuck out. And then yeah. they go for her. But her decision did yield some awesome scenes. Oh. Because when that's the first shot of Krampus we get when she's walking to the house the and he's on the roof. On the roof. And yes. Awesome shot. And then you just see, despite how large he is, how fast he moves, jumping from rooftop to rooftop. Mm-hmm. I That was my favorite shot of him because it's just like when I think of uh, uh, the movie The Village, M. Night Shyamalan's movie The Village, mm-hmm. how creepy and scary it was without knowing what was actually getting people. Like right. just to have this this outline of this image and know it's coming for you, just that does something for me in the horror genre. Um, and that's always no matter what it is even it that's so much scarier to me than actually seeing the evil right um mm-hmm. so at that point i got i got goosebumps it was it was good and we also got our, in our this scene our first glimpse at one of his horrifying little minions the jack in the box oh gosh that freaking jack in the box i hated that what? thing i think he was the scariest of his little helpers yeah uh yeah 100 percent. i'm opening my i'm opening him my jaws <laughs> oh my gosh you can't see it it's it, it's creepy <laughs> i did love when tom and howard went to go look for her and they go into this destroyed house and the first thing they find is a gingerbread knifed into the fridge and howard and howard's quote whoever did this is a demented son of a joke <laughs> It was just so awesome. It was hilarious. I like their relationship. Like you, you don't like, I don't like Howard at all through the film. I mean, I get that he becomes more, he becomes better. We're supposed to have a better feeling towards him, but he just annoys me. Not in a bad way. Like that's what his character is supposed to do. It's not, I'm not saying he annoys me in a bad way, but he's just an annoying character. But I love, even when he's trying to be nice to Tom, when they get back, I like when he calls him spineless and and continues to insult him even during his apology. (laughs) (laughs) well when they're in the house after he says that quote i don't know if you noticed he ripped off a piece of that gingerbread man and popped into his mouth and ate it Mm -hmm. he did oh i noticed (laughs) i can't blame him gingerbread's good can i just say i wish we saw that fight between her boyfriend and those gingerbread men whatever and (laughs) whatever however he ended up stabbing that thing to the refrigerator so did the did so here's a question a plot question that i don't think we know the answer to but we can speculate did Krampus come to this town simply because of Max? And if so, why did he go to the boyfriend's house first? I have a theory on that, but it kind of ties into the ending. I okay, think. well, wait. I did not know Adam Scott was in Boy Meets World. Yes, he was one of the bullies. He was the bully, Griff. <laughs> yeah. I learned that when I was researching, so I had to go watch I had to go watch a clip, and it is funny. Have you seen his made-for-TV movie or his uh, Netflix movie, Little Evil, yet? I found it hilarious. I loved it. It was hilarious. Have you seen it, Julia? No. You've got to watch it. He's convinced his son is, his stepson is the spawn of Satan, the Antichrist. And hilarious ensues. And I'm so excited about his new TV show with Craig Robinson. Ghosted? Never heard of it. 
it's in production right now. Um, I saw, I read a thing about it a while back when they announced it, where one of them is a total, was a paranormal investigator and one of them is a skeptic and they get paired up to investigate paranormal activity. And it, it, it sounds like it's going to, with those two, it's going to be hilarious. I mean, they were so funny together in Hot Tub Time Machine and they both, you know, they were in the office and um, Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec, which were kind of. Did you know that Adam Scott auditioned for Jim on The Office? No, you get you you can watch the audition tapes. He auditioned for Jim. Seth Rogen auditioned for Dwight. The guy from Modern oh, Family so Cam auditioned for Kevin. Like like you could see they they're all I could have seen that one. I could have I yeah. could see I could I see him. Seen Cam. But even yeah, no, I, I'm glad they didn't have anything. To Bob Odenkirk yeah. uh, auditioned for Michael. I had heard that. Well, because they bring him back in the last season, right? He's a uh, he's a branch As manager the, somewhere the, else. The right? Michael. Scott type character of that other one. Yeah. 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 Can I so, just say those psychotic gingerbread men are like the cutest freaking things I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, I like, want they're precious. I want one so bad. Yeah. And I love how they're doing, you know, they, they, they figure out the nail gun and they're shooting. Oh my gosh, that nail gun. Howard. But then the dog comes along and just eats them. <laughs> what what made that even Rosie. better was it was 10 minutes after Howard insulted Rosie, like useless dog. Well, I think he said something else, but he called her useless. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, she saved him. Okay. I, lo- I loved when the gingerbread came down the chimney on the hook and the kid took a big bite out of him and the gingerbread man just looks so scandalized like <gasps> <laughs> i love those gingerbread men oh my goodness so there michael dowry said in an interview he to emphasize the whole shadow of saint nicholas thing he purposefully made krampus playful like he's playing with them and he's a little mischievous like the evil version of Santa, which is why he has all these toys. Like when Krampus is clearly can just come in and take them whenever he wants, but he's having more fun playing the game and doing the whole send the toys in after them and hmm. everything like that. So I thought that was cool. A nice touch. Mm-hmm. It, for sure. When, when the toys first arrive before things start going to hell for them, when the UPS guy drops off the bag and Howard says to his wife, why do, why do rich people get all the free stuff? And she's like, I don't know, honey, Democrats probably. I just, <laughs> I just couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> so we didn't mention her by name, but Allison Tolman. She's um, great. She's fantastic. She she's, she's so from, good in Fargo. Fargo. She's from Sugarland. I saw that. I looked at her IMDb and oh my goodness. Yes. She's a Texan. So no wonder she's awesome. I figured that out when we watched uh, Downward Dog the first time. And I thought she was so, when we started watching that, I thought she was so funny that I'd go research her. Mm-hmm. She was great on Fargo. That's what I know her from. And she was, ama- she yeah. was my favorite character on that show. But, um, and her having a baby in this movie. Can I also just say that movies like this that have babies in them give me super anxiety. Like, scary 100%. movies 100% oh with the ba- oh i can't like part of me is cringing the entire time if there's can i involved. say one awesome actor that baby was though yeah that was a good baby like even even at the end when they opened the bell like she even does this like look of like surprise and looks at her dad like it was an awesome acting job for the yeah. baby though that kid must have been traumatized when the elves come in and they take her like how is that kid not traumatized for life after that? I'm kidding. Well, I'm pretty sure they probably did not actually have the elves in full costume. Yeah. They pro- I- I'm hoping 
with all hope that they green screen that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but yeah, she, her part, her character, what amazed me in this, this was when Linda's reaction is so much harsher or so much more visceral than Tony Collette's. I mean, it was heart wrenching to see her when her, when she realized her child was gone. Mm-hmm. That wow. Well, one of the things I liked about this movie is how the four adults did not get along at the beginning, but like by midway through, they're like the perfect team, whether it's fighting in the attic against those toys together mm-hmm. or Tony Collette practically being dragged up the chimney while they're trying to pull her down as she's trying to hold on to the kid. I liked how they, you know, it wasn't just Max being forced to appreciate the family, it was everyone of the family being forced to appreciate one another. You know, I think that's a good lesson we can all learn, no matter how bad our families are, when psychotic demon goats come after us with possessed human-eating toys, we can all find room to love one another. (laughs) (laughs) That's the moral of the story. So so let me ask you guys, what was the scariest part of this movie for you? Because for me, it was when they're in the attic and the the jack-in-the-box turns around and he's huge now. And he's like, you can clearly tell he has a body in his stomach. That was horrifying. Yeah, that was mine. I mean, you nailed it. Yeah, that. Yeah. And he was was also really disturbing when the elves, before the elves show up, he does this weird little clapping thing. Like he's giddy. Yeah, that was creepy. That was creepy. creepy. But still, the part that was scariest to me was the outline of Krampus. In through the blizzard and knowing he was coming, but I had no frame of reference, you know, to know what Krampus coming meant in this context. There was just this big mystery surrounding Krampus at that point. That was, I didn't know anything about him. I didn't know what he looked like. And it was, whoa. So when we finally saw him, did you notice that's not his real face? He's wearing a mask. I did notice that at first I thought, oh, they did a really bad job. But then you look and it's like, oh. Yeah, you can see his real eyes through the slits. And, and, his when mouth. His, and when his tongue comes out, you, you can kind of see his mouth opening underneath. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great, and people should uh, YouTube it. It's on YouTube, behind the scenes featurette on bringing Krampus and the toys to life. So it's all animatronics and puppetry. And there was a guy in the Krampus suit and they were showing how he was moving around. It was really cool. It's really Show notes. Show notes. I'll definitely put it in the show notes. One of the complaints that people had online about the movie was him. His hands were obviously rubber, but again, I think it was going back to Santa wears gloves. So Krampus had gloves. Um, Santa's are warm white gloves. So his are cold black rubber gloves. I, I liked the hands, honestly. I thought the fingers were really creepy. Like when he uh, first with Omi and then with Max, like rubs his finger over their face. Like mm-hmm. I would be terrified at that point mm-hmm. if I was staring at that thing down. Mm-hmm. So I like how, well, not necessarily the kids, but every adult gets her moment to be a hero in this film. Mm-hmm. Even Aunt Dorothy, like she like completely takes out the bear and then the angel, like with the shotgun. With that gun. <laughs> oh, I re- I'm mm. I just can't say enough things about Conchata with Farrell. I really can't. No, I can't either. <laughs> I mean, she had to say her character was very similar to her to her character in Two and a Half Men. Very yep. much. <laughs> but I just I heard it's a no nonsense. <laughs> I mean. I... <laughs> I started when when, when uh, Omi starts speaking in German and people are like, what'd she say? And Aunt Dorothy responds, we're... And they're like, how do you know what she said? She said, I'm old enough to know when life is coming at me with its pants down. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
<laughs> See, what made that scene for me was not only that quote, but when she says it means where like they just go to Omi and Omi's just like, yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> I like how how self aware the movie was when it had when Linda said it's Christmas. Nothing bad's going to happen on Christmas. Yeah, I love that quote. It's so they they did. That's just the writing to show you. Oh, it's going to get bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you said you said earlier you like when movies show and don't tell in terms of scares and horror, mm-hmm. right? Like you know when they make you imagine things rather than just blatantly put in your face so the dog rosie going into the vent and you only hear what happens to her rather than see what happened to her was 20 times more scary to me than if we had just seen that jack-in-the-box pick her up and do whatever yeah Yeah. absolutely yeah it was much more horrifying in my mind just yeah just imagining what was happening to that poor dog yeah poor rosie that's like Uh, my dream dog was rosie back at the end yeah okay Mm -hmm. she was we well, another great Aunt Dorothy quote was, um, uh, hot chocolate makes everything better. <laughs> you know what that made me think of? What? Chocolate keeps the dementors away. Uh, another <laughs> Harry Potter reference. It does make everything better. It does. <laughs> chocolate makes everything better. Wait, so can we go through favorite quotes and scenes and stuff? Yes, well, we've been doing scenes, But I have a bunch of quotes. We probably have some overlapping favorites. Let's take quotes. turns. Yes. There Great, we idea. Go. Great idea. We'll let Anthony, who uh, put this episode together, go first. How's that sound? Okay, so the first one I have on my list is Aunt Dorothy at Christmas, before uh, at dinner, before everything starts going to hell. She's like, and who doesn't make a ham at Christmas? What are you now, a Jew? <laughs> <laughs> wow, I know. I Yeah, that showed a lot of insight into her as a uh, character. As a character, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have many Jewish friends and family, so I'm not like, I just found that line funny, her delivery. Just so <laughs> my listeners know. So I liked when Max um, was in the car at the end and he's trying to get it started and he goes, I don't even know how to drive a stick. We have a hybrid. <laughs> Freaking out. And he's like panicking, but he manages to slip that line in there. Love that. I liked it when uh, Howard and Linda were reflecting and Howard said, we should have gone to stay with my brother. Linda said, your brother lives in a barn. And Howard says, Jesus was born in a barn. (laughs) (laughs) Which side note of, of interest to everybody. Jesus was not born in a barn or a stable. He would have been born in a cave. Just throwing it out there to be historically and uh, geographically correct. So when I go anywhere or people, people have the nativities with the wooden 14th or 15th century European looking stable, I always ask them who that is in there and then use that as an opportunity to tell them, no, that's not what Jesus was born in. <laughs> and every time I make that, that joke reference, Christine rolls her eyes at me. <laughs> I have the stable. Sorry. I don't know who you're worshiping there, but <laughs> some 15th century Caucasian Anglo-Saxon. <laughs> Hashtag that ain't Jesus. <laughs> Hashtag, Hashtag not no, my, my Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, be, because we always have to mention it every episode. Hashtag not my Santa, the Santa Claus at the mall who is staring at the daughter's butt in the family picture. Oh yeah. Hashtag not my Santa. But I like they, they were again. That's part of the social commentary right there. Mm-hmm. It was nothing is right about Christmas except okay. Max. <laughs> so another quote I have. I have a lot of Howard quotes. So. After Omi tells her story, and he's like, and here I am thinking I was the one who was losing it. What? You believe this senile horse Evil Santa? Jesus Christ Almighty. She'll be reading about the rabbit Easter bunny come spring. (laughs) Another Howard. I just got my 
cupcaked by a bunch of Christmas cookies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to go with Howard too. Twisted fairy tale horse. <laughs> yep. <laughs> when Max is confronting Krampus at the end, just the bravery he manages to muster up and he shouts at him, Hey! to like to get his attention like i was like wow i would not be that that brazen after just seeing this guy murder and take away my whole family and then he ends up saying afterwards i'm sorry i just wanted christmas to be like it used to be i thought that was a really sweet little innocent cute line mm-hmm. i liked a lot of only stuff you know for thousands of years krampus came not to reward but to punish not to give but to take like a lot of her more ominous stuff i really liked just the wordplay and the phrasing and stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was well written yeah it definitely it definitely was i like um, when aunt dorothy got there and says looks like martha stewart threw up in here <laughs> that was where i was talking about the last episode when you all like said that's a mental image when i said my box is at the row up christmas yeah every- <sighs> Yeah. Gotcha. Oh, well played, tying them together. <laughs> yeah. Full circle. Full circle. That's what we do in this podcast, guys. <laughs> I liked Max at the beginning after they just come home from the pageant. Aren't we going to watch Charlie Brown and wrap Christmas presents together? It sounds like the perfect night. Is right? It really does. With all those cookies and sweets that Elmi had made. And then I was confused because his dad said, you can do it alone. It's not really a punishment. Like, yeah, I'd prefer to do it with other people, but I still get to watch it. I still get to wrap presents. I'm okay with that. That's not the worst punishment. Cookies. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, talking about Omi's cookies. I I love her. And I love her relationship with Max. Mm -hmm. Oh, that it really is a great relationship. (sighs) Although when they're leaving the house and Omi's gonna stand up to Krampus, Max is oddly resolved that he's okay with this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like you know, uh, uh, Tom wants to go back in and save his mom. And Max's like, no, no, she's got this. Let's go. I, I get it, though. I, I mean, they had that special connection. It, I mean, when I first saw it, I'm like, wow, this seems a little uh, on the heartless side here, bud. That that scene, though, when he comes down the chimney, the way he emerges, first the hands and then the horns, like, so cool how they did that. Mm-hmm. Really frightening. And that's where the – is that where the, the fireplace split and everything when he was coming down? Yeah, cracked, yeah. Oh, oh. That was a nice scary moment for me. But yeah, like I said, that's my favorite shot in the movie. Him and her staring each other down. He um, licked her, right? Is that where he I licked? Thought he, I thought he licked Max. He definitely okay. put his finger on her oh, face. Oh, that's right. He caressed her and then he licked Max. Okay. Yeah. So the scene when they're leaving the house, all of them, and one by one, each of the adults gets like pulled away or dragged away or pulled under the snow. Like that whole scene with Silent Night playing in the background, like just the orchestra. Mm-hmm orchestral version like really effective and really sad like as like each of the parents know they're about to be pulled under like you know i love you like oh so well done like this guy knows how to direct a scene and stage a scene and get the most from your actors and the atmosphere and everything mm-hmm. everybody getting drug under you know like with the uh, burrowing underneath mm-hmm. you know like when bugs bunny is coming to torment uh, elmer fudd um <laughs> Kind yeah. of what it reminded me of, but uh, when they're doing that, that's also scary because you don't know what's grabbing whom. I wish we saw what it was. That wasn't what I noticed. I, I wanted to see. I mean, I agree with you. Sometimes it's scarier not knowing, but I wanted a glimpse. Maybe it was a rabbit Easter bunny since he said Bugs Bunny reminded you. <laughs> <laughs> Howard was right. Howard was right. And then 
uh, when they, at the, the talking scenes, when Max goes to confront Krampus at the sort of end, mm-hmm. that looked like the creepiest, most demented carnival traveling pack ever. Mm-hmm. Um, something about the way they were on the campfire with all of their, their with their cart and all of these uh, carnival looking monsters. Something about it just reminded me of American Horror Story. Yes, totally. I could have totally seen that. Seen those same, a very similar scene in American Horror Story. So, the, were those like giant, like uh, you know, rams pulling his sleigh instead of reindeer? Like, what were those creatures pulling the sleigh? Did you notice, like the giant horns? Like, yeah, that was creepy. I, I didn't know what they were. They were some form of a dark reindeer Goat or something. I thought, yeah. yeah, like they were like they were the antithesis of a of a cuddly, cute reindeer with a glowing red nose you talk about the design the toys and the gingerbread and krampus but like the elf masks were really creepy too and all the snowmen that kept appearing outside like mm-hmm. did you notice they kept they kept appearing after somebody else died or was taken away that's when another one would appear oh that's creepy I didn't notice that that is yeah. creepy huh. so should we talk about the ending i think i'm ready yes yeah Okay, so I'm really curious to see if we're on the same page here. How did you interpret the ending? So I interpreted the ending to be that the snow globe, right, was basically Krampus's way of keeping an eye on them for the future, which in his workshop you see just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of snow globes as well. So I interpret that to be he had visited them once, this was their second chance and he would be watching them in the future. And then right. I would imagine in the future, if they mess up again, then that's it. The bad stuff goes down. So yeah. What about your that's tongue? how I saw it. That's how I saw it too, as a second chance. I think everybody beforehand seemed like it almost felt like everybody thought, Oh, I had, a, I had a nightmare the night before. And when Max opens the bell and they all see it, there's an, Oh crap. And they all realize they have that second chance now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I read some some other thoughts because I didn't know it was it was a divisive issue. Yeah, I don't. It surprised but me it was divisive. Nothing, nothing in it at all hinted or or led me to believe anything else except there was still the creepy blizzard. So I ter- I interpreted it the same way as you guys. I think it was hinted throughout the movie. That's what it was. So like before, even Howard's family arrived for Christmas. Omi and Max are watching a Christmas carol in mm-hmm. the kitchen. And it started like there's a big close up on the TV. You'll be visited by three ghosts. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a dead giveaway. And the end when Krampus is holding, throws Max into the fiery pit. Like in a Christmas carol, the book, the grave opens up below Scrooge mm-hmm. into the fiery underworld. Mm-hmm. And then when he falls through, he wakes up the next yep. morning. So I thought those were the two big clues that this was basically. A Christmas Carol. Krampus is giving you a second chance. He showed you you did wrong. Snow Globes is a way of keeping an eye on you. I never really like like you said. I didn't really get how this is divisive. There are a lot of people online, just on Reddit and YouTube comments. If you look, that think they're basically in the underworld or hell or something, and they're trapped in that snow globe. But I don't see it that way at all. The only hint i could have gotten from that is when they're pulling out of the window for a minute the window pattern looks like bars on a jail cell as they're pulling out but that's not how i viewed it 
If that's their if that's their quote unquote punishment for all the time, it still seems like a fairly happy ending. Right. I'll say this: if it was definitively, if they answered definitively, definitively, they were trapped, and that's a punishment. I don't think I would have liked the movie as much. I think mm-hmm. it works so much better as you got the second chance. It's a wonderful life. It's a Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. It's Home Alone. So, how come Omi never got a second chance, but Max did? Is it because she didn't confront Krampus like Max did? I think it was Max when he confronted him. He knew what he did. He still, but he also still believed. Like even though he had done that, thrown his letter out, he still deep down believed in in Santa and had the the Christmas spirit and everything. Um, and I think that's where his bravery and his bravery. I mean, that had to have the hey. Uh, screaming at Krampus to get his family back and to tell, to acknowledge that he had done wrong. And, and, you know, we see that, that moment of sac- of self-sacrifice, leave them, take me. All of this showed a serious change. Well, I can't say change in Max because that was Max beforehand, but um, show Max acknowledging that he had made a mistake. And that seemed to have moved Krampus. And I'm assuming Omi did not. I don't think Omi did. Max came out and couldn't like... In the flashback, anyway, she didn't. Like, she stood before him, but didn't say a word as he threw down the bell. Didn't try to fight him or argue him or anything. But to what your question before, Tom, like, did did he only come for Max or the whole village or whatever? Yeah. I think he only came to the town because of Max. Mm -hmm. And I think these other people, like the UPS driver and the girl's boyfriend, were being punished because... They were, it was all going to be reversed at the end. Basically, that's what I feel. So they were just kind of collateral damage, regardless. For it didn't matter because everything was going to get reset. Yeah. So then that brings my next right. question The gingerbread cookie who got stabbed, was he okay in the end then, too? <laughs> <laughs> I, li- I like to picture that when Krampus hit reset, that guy comes in, like, you know, completely healed and like yelling. In the workshop, I'm sick of this crap. Like, choose somebody else next time. <laughs> is Omi in that last scene? That's what I'm also looking for right now because I don't remember her. She she is. She, she is. She leans down with a hot cocoa. Merry Christmas, Max. Okay. And then she's like, okay, okay. The, the cover but, of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, they play in that scene too, was really good. It was. But um, going along with the Linus test, when we see everybody in that last scene, everybody has changed. Yep. Um, regardless of what they think happened or how they got there. Howard's nice. Aunt Dorothy is really nice. Howard's cheery. Everybody's getting along. Even though they still have their quirks, like the cousin still calls him Maxi Pad. Mm-hmm. But, but the house just the house at the end just looks so warm and welcoming and so Christmassy. It does. It does. Even uh uh they're their pajamas just look warm and homey. Mm-hmm. And can we talk about Tony Collette's gift that she that she got? Do y'all remember that? <laughs> yeah, the taxidermy, uh, <laughs> whatever it was, the wombat or something. That's so Howard, <laughs> and that Krampus bell is beautiful. They sell the replica of that fifteen dollars wetter workshop. The people who did the special effects fifteen dollars. You can order it online. That's all. Yep. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I don't think I don't think all of those snow globes actually have people in them. It's kind of like Santa's magic globe to look at you know to look at children that we see throughout yeah. the throughout you know you always see in these movies Santa's looking into something to see. So if you guys went through that, 
and Krampus visited you and you went through a horrific night like that on Christmas Eve. You got your second chance, but then you got the bell knowing he's watching over you the rest of your life. Wouldn't you be scarred? I would be terrified the rest of my life. Like, I'd be afraid I got into one fight with a cousin or something and, like, he's going to come back. (laughs) (laughs) Get therapy for Christmas every year after that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, one more thing. I like Max's advent calendar in the room, the wooden advent calendar. With I thought it was a very cool one. Yeah. It was. It was very nice. And I liked how they used the advent calendar to count down how many days were passing that they were stuck in this blizzard and being terrified. There is a technically an official answer. Oh? So, this from is home. from the official studio-approved, director-approved tie-in comic book. Okay. What is so, that? Although writer-director Michael Dougherty has refused to confirm which theory is true, the tie-in comic book, which was approved by him in the studio, called The Shadow of St. Nicholas, confirms that the happy ending is the true one. The comic has murder characters blatantly resurrected without any hint of a twist, showing that Krampus is willing to give people a second chance, as long as they prove they've learned their lesson. Unlike his grandmother, Max is brave enough to confront Krampus and prove he'd learned his lesson, which is why Max had his family returned and the grandmother did Cool. So there you go, people. Everybody who uh, disagrees, you have been you have been schooled. I think this is a good segue into you know we all think it's a Christmas film. We all think you got a second chance at the end. I think I know what everyone's answer is going to be. Does this film pass the Linus test? Yep. Totally. Yep. Flying colors. Uh, more so with the, I I I really think more so for the family than Max. I go back to it and. I could be wrong. I don't see Max. Max got a bad rap, in my opinion. Again, I'm going to go back to it just like Kevin McAllister. Max got a bad rap. He's a good kid. His heart was in the right place. He was tormented, made a mistake. Okay, so it passes the Linus test. As we always do, let's score this film. And I'm really curious to see the scores you guys give it. So, Tom or Julia, one of you want to pipe in with your score? I'm giving this movie a seven. I am giving this movie a 7.5. I am giving this movie an 8.7. 8.7? Yep. All right. Let's do a I, could, I, I couldn't justify the 9, but I, could, I thought it was better than 8.5. I love this movie. It, I really love this movie. That gives us an average score of 7.73, which puts this movie just above Die Hard. Ooh. So let me ask, because I, I forgot to ask for like final thoughts. Will uh, this movie become a part of your Christmas canon? Yeah, it's totally a part of mine. And I like how it's not hardcore, scary, 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 because I'll sh- let my kids watch it, basically. You know, it won't just be me watching as part of the Christmas canon. The older kids, I think, would enjoy it. So, yeah, I'm going to totally bust this out every year for some little extra Christmas flavor. What about you, Tom? I don't know about every year, but yeah, it's going to be something I'm going to watch again. I liked it. I'm definitely going to watch every year. And it's funny you said it's something you could show to your kids because when I saw this in theaters, there were a lot of people there with their kids. Well, I think that, yeah. And the kids seem to love it. One thing I liked about it, they did a good job, I I think, by by doing everything they could to keep the PG-13 rating. Universal only greenlit it if they would keep it at PG-13 because Christmas horror movies in the past have never made a lot of money or got good reviews, Hmm. Mm -hmm. which this one did. And I just want to reiterate again how, like, thrilled I am that this episode didn't turn into, like, a Christmas and Hollis type fight. (laughs) I was like... It's good. (laughs) (laughs) 
Anyway, moving on. <laughs> moving on, shutting that down before we get onto that tangent again. Let's move on to listener mail and iTunes reviews. Tom, do you want to read us the iTunes reviews you received this past week? Sure, and I think it's it's important to note too. Um, if you did comment, we can't do all the comments. We've hit that point where there were too many this week, so we're gonna we've narrowed it down to people who've answered our questions and left reviews. Um, so starting with our iTunes reviews, MJ021410 uh, gave us a five star rating and t- titled his or her review "Addicted," and said, "I absolutely love this podcast. When I listen to it, I just want to grab a nice cup of hot apple cider, put on my snuggie, and binge on all things Christmas." Thank you to all of you. For creating this incredible podcast. You're welcome, MJ021410. Thank you for listening. Yes, and, thank you. And double B underscore 78 said great podcast and also gave us a five-star review. I love Christmas and this is a podcast gem. I ran into a, this podcast by chance and I'm thankful that I did. The hosts have awesome chemistry and it's always fun to hear them discuss the world of Christmas movies and Christmas in general. I have a long drive to work each day, and this is one of my weekly listens that make that drive a little better. If you love movies and or Christmas, give it a listen. Thank you so much. That's a great review, and that makes uh, that gives me all the warm feels. Yes, thank you, guys. We also had some reviews on Facebook. Um, Charlene Lewis left us a review saying that she loves, loves, loves this podcast. It's fun, and it keeps her in the Christmas spirit all year long. Thank you, Charlene. We love your input. And Andrew Perez left a review. Um, This podcast was recommended on the Our Christmas subreddit, and he quickly jumped at the opportunity to check out a Christmas-themed podcast. He's enjoyed each episode that's been released so far and is looking forward to each week's release. The hosts mesh well, and he enjoys our personal takes on each movie and what they mean to us and says it's a great way to enjoy a little slice of Christmas all year. Thank you, Andrew and Charlene. Yeah, thank you guys. And thanks to everyone who says we mesh well, because like mm-hmm. we've mentioned before, I don't know Tom and Julia in person, and Tom and Julia knew each other, but weren't like very close. So when we started out, I was thinking to myself, this could go really well or not mesh well at all. <laughs> but yeah, I think we mesh well as well. So... Yeah, I'm going to thank Tom and Julia for being awesome co-hosts. Thanks for coming up with the idea. This is fun. Yeah, it's so much fun. And I'm going to praise Anthony and myself for dragging Julia over to the dark side. For those of you who asked about Julia on the subreddit, (laughs) tis the podcast, Julia has joined Reddit and is interacting on there now. So Now we just need to get her on Twitter. Oh, I've done the Twitter thing. That's just too much. Too much. Maybe ask me in four weeks and I'll probably change. (laughs) So we also have some Reddit comments. Um, The first one is from Disco54, who took umbrage with me because of um, he, because of the score I gave I'll Be Home for Christmas. He wrote 4.5? Really? Julia knows she has to measure this crappy film. I really like Disco 54. (laughs) Yep. You you can't see her right now, but Julia's looking very smug and proud of herself right now. (laughs) You can hear the smugness in my voice, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to push back a little bit, Disco 54, and reiterate once again, I loathed that movie. I was very angry in that podcast. But 
if somebody had a gun to my head and forced me in some kind of horrific Sophie's Choice type situation to sit down and watch Arthur Christmas or I'll Be Home for Christmas, but I could do it under any of my own circumstances, I'd pick I'll Be Home for Christmas. Get a few drinks, get a few friends, and just rip on the movie. Arthur Christmas is so boring, it doesn't allow me the chance to do that. So that's my piece. Anyway. <laughs> All we have to do is mention Arthur Christmas, and we watch, we watch Anthony's blood pressure rise. His doctor is going to tell him to stop talking about Arthur Christmas. <laughs> One day I'm going to just like kill myself with high blood pressure on this podcast, and Tom or Julia is going to put my obituary hated Arthur Christmas. Arthur Christmas <laughs> killed him. Uh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell everybody that you loved Arthur Christmas. <laughs> I will come back and haunt you until the day you die. <laughs> will, you, will, you be, will you bring my Krampus experience? <laughs> I will bring the Krampus experience. <laughs> Spoiler alert, I'm not prone to giving second chance. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, Disco54 also wrote in about his interpretation of the Krampus ending and Krampus in general. He wrote, funnily enough, I watched this just the other weekend and I was halfway between really enjoying it and being disappointed that it wasn't a darker and more brutal film. I wanted it to be more like Rare Exports or Troll Hunter or Black Mirror, but it was a bit soft. Overall, it's a fun movie, but that ending foxed me a little. I wasn't expecting it at all. It's a bit Men in Black or Twilight Zone. I don't know what to think. Apparently the Krampus has lots of stories he keeps bottled up. Maybe we need to see more. The only thing I think I'd say to that is I liked that they made it a bit soft, honestly. It's, I, it made it a Chris it kept it a Christmas movie. If they went harder, it would be more horror than Christmas. Mm-hmm. And he also commented about the softer rating. He thinks they did it just to get it down to a, a 15 in the UK, which is PG 13 here. Um, but like I said a while back, just as part of the trivia for the film, Universal didn't greenlight it until they were guaranteed the PG-13 rating. And that was before anything got shot or anything like that. So it was always intended to be that. Um, but he did point out, I found it a bit distracting to have Adam Scott as the lead. A huge, as a huge Parks and Rec fan, I kept hoping for Ron Swanson to show up. <laughs> as a huge Parks and Rec fan myself, Disco 54, if Ron Swanson showed up, Krampus would have ended a lot sooner because he would not have dealt. He would have dealt with that really quickly. I just got to say, I like that idea. We need a Krampus with Nick Offerman and see how that plays out. Yes, please. So while we're on the topic of Krampus and the Krampus ending, we did get our poll results. We asked on Twitter, how you interpreted the ending of the movie. 57% of you see it as the family got a second chance. Krampus gave them a second chance. And 43% of you said they're trapped in hell. So it's closer than I thought it would be. Me too. Yeah. um, That's cool. I think, you know, both endings are valid. I just personally prefer um, the hopeful one. Okay. So we also got a few Reddit comments answering our plea to comment on Christmas and Hollis and explain why or why not it's a good or bad Christmas song. So Disco 54 again. It's on my Christmas Spotify playlist because you need relief from relentless crooning and Christmas needs an injection of funk. That said, a classic? I'm not sure. I can't see nursing homes rocking to the sound of it in 50 years. Like I'm sure they will to Bing and Nat and Dean. And then I pointed out it's already lasted 30 years. And he said, still have lots of songs. Doesn't make them classics. 
So thank you for siding with Tom and Julia. Can I just say throughout this, like through the uh, uh, Christmas subreddit in this, I really like Disco 54. Disco 54, not just because he agreed with me. I mean, I'm not saying that, but he's really got a good good perspective on Christmas. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Except when it comes to Christmas and Hollis, but A underscore then underscore white underscore Duke also commented about Christmas and Hollis. He wrote, or she, I assume he, Duke. Um, absolutely. Nothing wrong with some Christmas hip hop come the season. Also got big love for Christmas is by run DMC and Christmas in Harlem by Kanye West. Also check out Jeremiah and chance the rappers. Merry Christmas little mama from last year. I appreciate you taking my side when it comes to Christmas and Hollis, but I can honestly say I unfortunately don't like those three other songs. What about you two? I don't know them. Yeah, I don't either. I didn't know Chance the Rapper had a Christmas song. He seems like a cool guy, so I mean, I'll check it out. Yeah, definitely, it's definitely worth checking out. And then Kirkland P also commented, I get so deep into Christmas music that a change of pace is absolutely necessary. Put me in the pro Xmas and Hollis camp. Its use in the Office's Christmas Party episode makes it all the better. I 100% agree with you, Kirkland P. It is perfect for that episode. <laughs> I, I can't deny that. It really is. It, but yet you don't no like... There's no other song that would have done justice to that episode. But yet, Anthony, you don't love Bell Schnickel. I don't like that episode. Well, it I was... I love that I'm, one. I'm calling The Office for that, too. Bell Schnickel episode was awesome because it was The Office, and they had Dwight as Bell Schnickel. So... <laughs> Hashtag not my Belschnickel. <laughs> anyway, we also got that Revit guy also wrote in on Reddit to answer our question of the week last week about what their first Christmas decoration to go up in the house is every year. And they wrote, we usually end up putting up the lights outside the house first, but it's more related to convenience being that for me, the decorations outside are more tedious than the inside. It's my own fault, though. I can never decide if I want to put up the icicle lights, the globe lights, or the C9 bulbs. They all have to be placed perfectly along the roof, and God forbid one bulb goes out. Um, C9 bulbs. Woo woo. I get it. The struggle is very, very real. Yeah, everyone I know who owns a house always starts with the outside lights before anything inside. I will say, if you're having trouble with uh, uh, tangling of lights last week's, or now it'll be, I guess, two weeks ago on... Um, can't wait for Christmas podcast. Tim gives some great ideas on how to handle that problem. So check it out. It's a great podcast. And we have one more Reddit comment from Vox Havoc. And they answered a bunch of our questions. So in terms of which decoration goes up first for them every year, they wrote, I have a polar bear wearing a beanie ornament that stays up (laughs) all year long on an ornament hanger. So that's cute. That's fun. Um, in terms of Christmas and Hollis, they said they're neutral about it. So better than being downright negative. So thank you. <laughs> in terms of I'll be home for Christmas, which we reviewed last week, they wrote, I still have not seen it. And after this episode, I don't think I am going to. Very smart move. Don't waste your time. You're welcome. Um, about Krampus they wrote I saw Krampus in the theater with my girlfriend and a couple of our friends and it was fun but we all felt like it couldn't decide if it was a comedy or a horror and it didn't really do either that well Hmm. I'll be interested to see what you think of this episode because the three of us thought they really knew what it was and balanced that tone well 
You know, I think, but again, I like, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and defend Vox Havoc here. Um, the first time I watched it, I don't know if I wasn't in the right mindset or paying attention or what, but I didn't catch that. Um, I do now. And it's, 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 it makes all the difference in the world. But like I said, I, I see where Vox Havoc is coming from. In terms of his history with the figure of Krampus outside of the movie, they wrote, I knew of the name from a folklore class when I first went to college eight or nine years ago, but I didn't really know anything until I did some digging after reading Krampus, the Yule Lord by Brown. So I'm going to have to look up that title. And um, in terms of the ending, they wrote, Krampus respected Max's honesty and let him have Christmas with his family forever. Ooh. So, so he's taking the, the, what we've said is the hell approach, quote unquote, um, but it's not hell. It's kind of like Christmas every day. Wow, Krampus, come take me away. <laughs> <laughs> I would go through that night to have Christmas every day. Ooh, but didn't you see the movie Christmas Every Day where it's not all it's cut out to be? I have seen that. And I've also seen Pete's Christmas. Have you seen that one? No. It's a made for TV movie. I love it. I love Christmas every day. I want to add it to the list. I think I put Pete's Christmas on at the beginning when we get to, when we get around to doing made for TV movies. Okay. So that's all the feedback we have time for this episode. Like Tom pointed out, it's getting to the point where we can't read every comment we're left on Facebook or Twitter or uh, Instagram or Reddit or wherever. But just because we can't read them all doesn't mean we don't appreciate you. We appreciate you guys listening. And, you know, we are increasing with listeners by the day. And we're really humbled and grateful to all of you. And it really um, kind of gives us life to keep going on with this podcast. and makes us more enthused than we already were to be doing it. And we'll also, even if we're not reading it here, we promise we're in um, one or all of us as it's more likely the case, um, are interacting with each and every person who comments, writes in, or some, in, anything on any of our social media. So if, you, so if you respond to something on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or Reddit, um, you'll hear from one or all three of us. Absolutely. Like, please keep engaging. That's what we want, even if it can't be read on the air. So once again, thanks to everyone who left us a review on iTunes and Facebook. For those of you who haven't, please do so. We're running... Uh, promotional giveaway through the next three episodes the next month basically where anybody who leaves us a review on itunes will be entered into a contest to win a cousin eddie from national lampoon's christmas vacation pop funko figure and that also goes for facebook reviews and if you leave us a review both places you'll be entered twice so there's some incentive for you please leave us reviews every review you know helps us uh, helps new listeners find us and spread the word. It helps us spread the Christmas cheer. Because if we don't keep getting reviews, Krampus is going to come for us on Christmas Eve, and this podcast is going to have to stop. So, oh, I didn't sign up for those terms. Did you read the contract? <laughs> Did you read the contract? Apparently, not the fine print. <laughs> it was in really small print all the way around Anthony's business card. <laughs> I needed. It. I didn't have the gigantic magnifying glass. I don't think. <laughs> i'm really excited to announce next week we're doing charlie brown christmas um yay but we have, classic and we have a special guest who's going to be joining us it's dr stephen j lind who's the author of a, a charlie brown religion exploring the spiritual life and work of charles m schultz um, his research for this biography of the peanuts creator included not only reading all seventeen thousand eight hundred ninety seven peanuts comics 
but he also spent time with the Friends and Business Associates of Charles Schultz. Uh, Dr. Lind holds a PhD from Clemson University and is an assistant professor of business communications at Washington and Lee University. We're so excited. Um, he's done other Christmas podcasts out there that uh, I've creeped on and listened to. I listened to that podcast you sent us, by the way. He sounds like a really cool dude. Didn't he? Wasn't that fun? Yeah, well, it was a lot of fun. Uh, one of the things you can listen to, especially getting ready for Halloween, is an appearance he had on Academic Minute where he talked about the Great Pumpkin. It's a great, the Great Pumpkin uh, Halloween Charlie Brown episode. And we'll put a link to the audio um, on the blog. It's, it's, he's a lot of fun. And I think he's going to fit in well. So if you're a real keener, besides doing your homework and watching a Charlie Brown Christmas for next week, you read Dr. Lim's book because all three of us are going to read it. I don't think either of us have done it yet, but it looks really interesting and really good, like a really good read. So you I'm, guys should definitely pick it up. I'm waiting for Amazon to deliver it to me. It was supposed to be here today. So, but it, yeah, we're looking, we're really looking forward to having Dr. Lind on. It's going to be really fun. And, um, Anthony, are yeah. you ready? Are you guys, are you each ready to talk about your guest hosts too? Do we want to announce those yet? Yeah. So we have, um, some exciting episodes coming up with some exciting guest hosts. Um, specifically, one we've got coming up to coincide with Halloween. We're going to be reviewing A Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, which is a movie I love, a Disney movie. And a friend of mine is uh, Casey Mott from Parkbound Buttons. If any of you Disney files out there, you've probably heard of her. She has um, these fantastic disney stylized buttons um anybody who goes to disney knows that buttons is kind of a disney thing you get one for your first visit and uh, if you're married and all of that well she um has taken that idea and spun it off into this vast line of fantastic disney themed buttons with um all sorts of different snarky and funny and whatever else um verbiage on it so they're great check her out um parkbound buttons um but she's going to be joining us on the podcast because she has a very unique view of all things disney since she's immersed in it uh so i'm super excited about that episode we also have brian from the christmas past podcast which you should check out if you haven't listened to it yet because it's great we'll link it in the show notes but he will be joining us the first week of December to discuss the Rankin-Bass classic, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So that's exciting. We're looking forward to that. And closer to Christmas, oh, the episode we're dropping a week before Christmas, we're reviewing the Hallmark original musical movie, Mrs. Santa Claus, starring Angela Lansbury. And we will be welcoming the screenwriter of that movie, Mark Seltzman onto the show and he seems like an awesome guy we've emailed back and forth a few times he's written for sesame street he wrote the english adaptation of milo and otis he's done worked on reading rainbow so we're really excited to welcome him closer to christmas and yeah we have a lot of cool guests coming up and i'm really excited to talk to all of them me too so our question of the week besides you know letting us know any final thoughts you have on Krampus or what you thought of a Charlie Brown Christmas, or if you have any questions for Dr. Lind that maybe we can ask, feel free to send them on. Um, our question of the week for you guys and one another is what are your advent calendar traditions? So Julia, do you want to go first? 
Yeah, we do Lego advent calendars. Oh, those are awesome. <laughs> my, yeah, my kids each get to pick one out. Um, Hannah always gets the le- – well, no, no, no. Actually, let me amend that. We've done Lego in the past, but Hannah has changed in the past year to the Sum Sum advent calendar. And Ethan and Gabe both do Lego calendars. Ethan does Star Wars and Gabe does the the village, the standard Lego one. I love them. They're so much fun. <laughs> what about you, Tom? I didn't grow up with uh, advent calendars or anything. It just wasn't part of my family tradition. But um, once I became Orthodox and got married, we, my wife and I started doing it. We tried a couple of different things. Um, we now have a, um, a wooden house that has the, uh, a little drawer for each day that we're going to start with our daughter this year since she's old enough to open the drawers by herself, which I'm really excited about. And um, I've had to amend it because our Advent is 40 days. So we have an extra 15 days from what most Advent calendars are. So we're going to put little things in there for Ellie, some treats and some religious education things and uh, make sure we're incorporating the meaning of Christmas and passing that on to her, but also making it really fun and exciting and something she can look forward to. Oh, that sounds so nice. How about you? Um, so when I was growing up, my parents had this cloth, like advent calendar with Santa Claus, very flat hung on the wall with like little pockets going up to, you know, the 24th and, you know, they would put it up when they decorated the rest of the house. And then, um, during the night between November 30th and December 1st, one of Santa's elves would come while we were sleeping and fill it with little chocolates for me and my sister all the way through the 24th and the 24th they had... They left us a some kind of a small toy, like a Beanie Baby or some kind of plush or whatever for the 24th for the last day. So me and Sarah now, we have our own little wooden calendar and with the drawers and uh, the elves still come to our house on the evening of November 30th when we're sleeping and leave the candy for us. We don't get toys anymore, but we do get a nice bigger piece of chocolate on the 24th. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. That's magical. So we want to know what you guys, what your Advent calendar traditions are. We really want to hear about that. Again, you know, please leave us reviews. If you have any questions for Dr. Lynn, please email them in. You know, maybe we'll get a chance to ask them if we have time. And watch Charlie Brown Christmas and read Dr. Lynn's book, A Charlie Brown Religion. So lots of homework for you guys this week. I think that just about wraps it up. Julia, do you want to give us an update on how many days are left until Christmas? All right, get excited. Only 85 days left until Christmas. Yay, it's getting so close. I know. So have a good week, guys. Bye, guys. Keep on the ball, now that you know we've